past several days, I was in Florida for a conference. One of the speakers there was Father John Ricardo. Father John Ricardo is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit. He's actually ordained in 1996, uh, the year that I got to Rome, which our paths just crossed. He has been very well known as a preacher, a speaker, one who gives and has the gift for renewal of parish ministry, for maintenance to mission, as he says. And he's begun a new project called Acts 29, going around and speaking to priests and parishes about bringing the gospel to the world and the situation in which we find ourselves. One of the things that he talks about a lot, and he talked about in his his speech, was the fact that as a culture and a society, so many people despairing in a way that we've never seen before in the West, therefore turning to opioids, drugs, things to kill the pain, of course, at worst, suicide, and how the world needs to hear, these children need to hear the message of the gospel. And so reflecting on his talk, and I think you should go online and listen to some of his talk, I think he even started a podcast a month or two ago. He's got some powerful things to say, truly prophetic man. But it ties in to the theme we hear in the first reading of the gospel, this land of Zebulun and Naphtali. These were two of the tribes of Israel that were located, their region was in the northern part of the original kingdom. But eventually, if you know your history of the Holy Land, Upper ten tribes separated and became a different kingdom. The northern kingdom were eventually uh, taken over and seized by the Assyrians and then sent into exile. And so this darkness there, the Lord is no longer present. They had been sent elsewhere and they were no longer living as people of the covenant. And so Jesus, the Messiah, coming into that area... He is the light of the world. He's come to bring light into his people who had been filled with despair and filled with darkness because of the history and what they had and were encountering in their lives. And so I think it really ties in even more to our own mission. Jesus was the light who brought the light to the people in darkness. We're called to do the same thing as Christians. We're not supposed to hide our light, but shine our light to others, to shine our light into the darkness. This is the whole mission of Mother Teresa. Jesus told her, I want you to go be my light to people in those dark hovels, the ones who are living in sin and in poverty. And so for Mother Teresa and for us, light is interpreted as love, as self-gift, as service. And so when we bring that light of love to others, we dispel the darkness, and we give people hope and the knowledge that they are loved and lovable. We don't have to go to India or to Africa or to Mexico in order to do that, as helpful as it might be. We are called to love and bring that light to the people who are around us, who are in our lives, our family members, our friends, our co-workers, many of them living in darkness and despair in a way that we might not even know or realize. But what stops us from doing this? 
What stops us from being a light to others to dispel the darkness and despair? I'm sure there are a number of things that do, but I want to focus on one in particular. To understand this, you've got to understand that light is the fastest thing known in the universe. We can go and we measure light years by the speed of light. But there's one thing as fast as light is that it cannot escape. That one thing that we know it cannot escape is a black hole. Not getting into the whole astrophysics of it. I'm not an expert at that, so I really couldn't get into it much anyhow. Is that there is some sort of warp in time-space continuum where there's this strong um, gravitational acceleration. Whatever comes in vicinity of it is pulled into the black hole and ultimately shattered, destroyed, or we really don't know exactly what happens once it ends at that last point at the bottom of that black hole. But nothing can escape it, not even light. And so we can parlay this understanding of lights and black holes into our own lives. I see a lot of people with the temptation to fall into are actually living out having a black hole in their mind. A black hole in their mind of sitting and ruminating over things, spinning them over and over and over again until they get pulled into this black hole of darkness and despair. The black hole of replaying mistakes from the past, sins we've committed, errors we've made, and beating ourselves up for it, allowing shame to come and take over and convince us that we are no good and we're not lovable. We ruminate over these things. Or even more, focusing on the future. We're so worried, looking for certainty. We're so afraid of disappointing God or other people. We want to make every decision absolutely correctly. As a result, we ruminate and spin over it. And we can't even make a decision. We end up in analysis paralysis because we're consistently caught in that black hole. And so it creates so much anxiety, stress. And that anxiety and stress makes us go even deeper into that black hole of ruminating and worrying. We get trapped in our heads. And as a result, the light of love that should emanate from our hearts and from our wills can't escape it. We can't get beyond that black hole. And so we're crippled. And the darkness takes over because we are incapable of bringing that light to other people. Now, in movies, it is possible at some times for certain spacecraft to be able to escape the black hole, to be able to have a force field or some special dilithium crystals or whatever it is, to be able to repel them outside of that gravitational pull. And so if we're going to take that and sort of connect it to real life, what makes it possible for us, or how is it possible for us, to get out of the black hole, to learn to allow that light of our love to reach into the darkness of other people's lives? Well, the spaceships, in order to be able to do this, 
They've got to be intentional. It's not some accidental characteristics of the ship. Oh, look, he escaped a black hole. No. You have to have a special power. You have to have a captain who knows what he's doing, and you have to deliberately will it, and it is not easy. And so in the same thing, if we want to learn how to escape the black hole of our mind, we can read books, and there are all kinds of different ways and paths of doing it, little tricks of reasoning and understanding. But I want to teach you that one way that I've seen has been tremendously effective in helping individuals escape the black hole of their mind. But in order to do it, you got to be intentional. You have to want to do it, and you have to stick at it. And I'm going to give you some very, very practical ways of doing this. You're going to adapt it to your own life. But if we do this, it is indeed possible for our spaceship to escape the pull of the black hole of our rumination. The first thing is this. We have got to be intentional about loving other people. The desire to bring light into the darkness of other people. We've got to want to do it. And we've got to be willing to do what it takes to do it. So the first step after being intentional and wanting to do it, we've got to choose people that we are going to show that light, that love to. We've got to choose people. Now, most people say, Father, I'm terrible. I'm not a good at loving other people. It's so difficult. That's because you're often judging your ability to love according to loving people who are just hard to love. There are people out there that do not want to be loved, that are difficult to love. You can't judge your ability to love and be liked by that standard. It's like a guy who wins all kinds of tennis tournaments in college, playing Roger Federer and losing and thinking he's a terrible tennis player. He's not. He's just playing the best person. But if he plays people in his general talent area, he's really, really good. And so we all have people in our lives that are fairly easy to love. Quite often those people are not the ones that we live with, but we all know people, a handful, three, four, or five, that it's not that difficult to love. And so we want to choose those people. It could be three people, five people, ten people. I don't care what it is. We have those people, and the second thing we do is we make a schedule. We put it into our little reminder app if we have to. We put it in our Google Calendar that we are going to reach out and contact so-and-so on Monday, so-and-so on Tuesday, so-and-so on Wednesday, and so forth. It may be once a day, a week. It may be once every two weeks. And it could be something as simple as sending a text, hey, how are you doing? Let's go grab coffee this month. Hey, what's going on? What have you been thinking about lately? Oh, I've been praying for you. Let's go to Mass. I don't care what it is. But it shows some intentional interest in that other person who might not want to reach out to you because they are so filled with darkness because they're worried about being a burden on you or being a bother to you. But you're reaching out to them and trying to pull them in to spend some quality time. That's their love language. They may have some other love language. Find out what it is and respond accordingly. But your time in encountering them is not some subterfuge for them to love you or to sit and listen to you. No, you are there to receive them, to listen to them, to have some empathic listening, to ask the proper questions, to be able to come to know their hearts. That's the only reason you're doing it. 
you let it go. But the final thing is, is you've got to be consistent. It can't be just this week. Everybody's going to get all kinds of phone calls this week. They're going to listen to Father Tomily, and then it's going to fall off, the, fall off the, 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 the radar. That's like when I preach about giving. Everyone's like, well, I'm going to give today, but they're never consistent. If we're going to be serious about being a light in others' lives, we've got to be consistent. And if we can't remember, then like I said, use your technology to remind you because eventually it's going to become a habit. And you're going to look forward to doing it. You're going to realize that it is a great joy being light in the lives of other people. And then after a week, two weeks, a month, six months, you're going to begin seeing changes. Not only in the fact that a lot of the darkness in the people around you and their lives is dispelled, but you're going to begin seeing changes in yourself. That you are more joyful, more filled with love, and a lot less prone to get stuck in the black hole of rumination. Because you're too busy going outside of yourself and getting that positive reinforcement that comes with shining light in the lives of other people. But you also then become aware that it's simply not you loving others, being the light to others, but you're carrying the light of Christ. That he's using you as a vessel. You come to experience the reality of God's love by being the channel of it for other people. The real amazing thing is, after a while of doing this, you realize that by being that channel, that your love is purified. There's a lot less desire to sit and figure things out in your head, and a lot more desire to love others and be the light in other people's lives. And as a result, there is so much more clarity and freedom in your ability to love and your ability to live, to think properly. And so the lives of others are changed, but so is yours. And it begins this positive feedback loop because once you shed light in the lives of other people, they are going to want to do it to others and yourself included. And so this is how light dispels the darkness, but we have to be intentional about doing it. And the truth is, this was not the homily that I originally wanted to preach, and I'm kind of wrapping it up here. I originally wanted to talk about abortion because it's pro-life march this week and this moral darkness that so many people in our nation and our world face and how we need to bring the light of reason, of scripture, of our belief in the dignity of the human person to dispel the darkness. And I sat for several hours trying to figure out a way to make it make sense and I realized I couldn't because the truth is you can't reason with people anymore. If I have to explain to you that it's not a good thing for a mother to kill the baby in the womb, then there's no ability to reason. You can't use truth that much anymore. Then I started thinking about, well, maybe talking about beauty. No one believes in the things that are beautiful anymore. So it leaves us for one thing. One thing that convinced people that dispels darkness is goodness, love, and holiness. If we choose to bring that love... Yes, we dispel darkness, but we also create a space over time where people are willing to listen. They're willing to think and be open to the truth in a way that most people simply are not. And so, yes, we go there to dispel the darkness of sin, the darkness of despair, 
but also to be able to bring the space necessary for the light of Christ's truth to come in, where the heart has been changed, to be able to transform the mind. Amen.